Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. At Grace Church, we like to learn a new song with every sermon series. For our current series, Sojourn, we're singing Not Our Home by Jonathan and Emily Martin. If you'd like to hear the song and learn it with us, then stay tuned after the sermon. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. I acknowledge that I'm a, uh, I'm a young man, um, and so I want to I throw a word out there, and I want, I want you guys to capture what the first thing that comes to your mind is. All right, you ready? This is active participation. When I say betrayal... Judas, of course, comes to first. All right. So when I say betrayal, we, we're in church, so we'll go straight to Judas. Like, he obviously, he was a betrayer. Um, what about for you personally, from your personal life? When I say betrayal, what does that bring up? You don't have to share, but I want you to think about it. Because I know I'm a young man, and the feelings that that conjures up for me are, are um, intense. The people who um, turned on me or the people who were speaking bad about me, like that really, really hurts. And so when I look at you guys who have so much more experience in life, I think of all the potential for betrayal that you guys have walked through. The people that have said bad things about you when you didn't deserve it. And that's hard. That's, that's painful. And, and even when we have forgiven those people who have wronged us, we still carry some of those wounds with us. I know from my experience, and I conjecture, that maybe I'm not alone. So this morning, we're going to continue in our Sojourn series um, with really a difficult principle. Worship your shepherd by suffering for what is right. And one of the difficulties in talking about this and using some of the terminology that I've used in, in this is that we're Americans, and so <laughs> we have spring-loaded, like, uh, rebellion in our bones, almost. There's, there is a, a sense where from, from, uh, from our childhood days, we're, we're thought, like, yeah, just rebel. And, and if somebody's not doing something that's right, if they're violating your rights, then let's... Let's crush that tyrant. And I'm going to rub up against that. I know we're coming up on Veterans Day, and I'm so grateful for those who have served in our armed forces. It is a calling that I could never fulfill. Um, I'm, so gra- I'm really grateful for you guys um, and girls that have done that. But we're going to rub up against that a little bit this morning. And this is, this is one of those things that God works it out because we planned uh, almost a year ago that we would be in this chapter on this morning. So um, worship your shepherd by suffering for what is right. We're going to look at this from um, the book of First Peter in chapter 2. So if you'd go ahead and open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 2. Worship your shepherd by suffering for what is right. First Peter chapter two, um, and we're going to start in verse four. We covered those. Well, let's we'll, we'll read the, from the first verse. 
Uh, we covered those a little bit last week, but we'll read them again this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We'll stop there. So God's flock is built on Christ, for worship. And worship is another one of those words that really gets, uh, gets loaded with, with meaning that maybe um, I understand it differently than, than, than other people typically do. Um, because in, in verse one, what, is it, what, are, the, what are the action words? What, what is he saying to do? And you can interact with that. Put away... Put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And we talked last week, we highlighted last week that those are relational things. You cannot put away envy if you don't have anybody to be envious of. So there's a relationship there. We're talking about the body worshiping together. And he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you're being built up as a spiritual house. This, this idea of, of, a, of a spiritual house, of being built up into essentially a temple, is a, is a really key Old Testament concept. It, it, it really shows up throughout. When, when God comes and says, I'm going to be with you, he calls a people out of Egypt and he says, I'm going to be with you, and so build a tent. Um, the fancy word for that tent is a tabernacle. And he says, he gives very, 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 very minute and specific detailed instructions. This is what it's going to look like. This is how you're going to build it. This is how you're going to set it up. This is how you're going to kick it down. This is who's going to carry each part as you guys are walking around. Like this is a tent and it is a big deal because I live with you. And then when they take a land, the Israel owns their own land, God, and eventually there comes a man who says, I want to build a house, not just a tent for God to dwell in, but a house. Uh, Solomon, in all of his wisdom and glory, builds a house, like the finest cedar wood um, imported from you know, Lebanon, which to us doesn't mean anything, but that's like 
you know, high dollar stuff. And then he buys that and then covers it with gold so you can't even see it. And so he goes to all of this extravagance of, of building God, this really, really awesome house to live in. Very specific detailed instructions of how it's built. Because I am God and I live with you. This, this is really, and, and we're, we're getting ready to turn the corner there, so I'm just going to cast a stone for you guys to start thinking about this. But this is really what we celebrate around, around Christmas time. Emmanuel is what? God with us. Jesus comes down and is living among us. And if God is living with us, that changes how we interact with each other. That changes how we interact with him. We must be holy because God is holy. We covered all of that last week. But here's the thing. We are living stones. If you stack us on top of one another, it gets difficult. The neat thing about it is, though, that Christ is our cornerstone. God's flock is built on Christ for worship. So none of us, nobody here, Pastor Matt, Pastor Todd, we are not the foundation for the church. We do not bear the weight of all that God is building. It's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's the one that bears the weight of what goes on. He has the responsibility. And here's a really weird thing. God builds this temple that then offers sacrifices. Right? Is that, do buildings offer sacrifices? No, it's a building. It stands there. It, you, know, you can do stuff in it, but it's not offering sacrifices. We are living stones built together to offer sacrifices. We are both the temple and the priests. And we're built on the cornerstone of Christ. So here, um, this is a game, uh, a picture of a game that I, I think you're familiar with, especially if you grew up in the 90s like I did. This is a game called Jenga. Um, do you know the premise of Jenga? You, you, you get these wood blocks and you stack them all up in a perfect thing and then you start rearranging the blocks and, and whoever knocks it over loses. And uh, I can remember much weeping and gnashing of teeth. This was the only board game that my family would play because it wasn't a board game. Um, so this is the only one that I have any experience with and, and it, it is stressful. It's stressful to do that. But who's doing the building? Hmm? Okay, the people are the blocks, that's right, but who's doing the building from this text? You yourselves are being built up. The foundation is also the builder. So it's this really neat picture that gets all messed up when you really start to think about it, right? But what does that mean for you? Today, throughout the rest of the week. What does that mean for you? If Jesus is the one doing the building, Jesus is the one that's bearing the weight, you're a block in this. You're a priest. You're built as a temple. You're built as a priesthood. 
One, one thing, and I, I was very intentional when I did it with the children, and I'm intentional when I do it with my kids too, is maybe we should change some of our vocabulary. And this is something that we've done in our family, and I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it, but this is something that's been helpful for me to think through as I'm teaching my children. We don't go to church on a Sunday morning. I will never say that to my kids. If I do, it's an accident. Um, I will say, we're going to meet with the church today. We are going to the church building to meet with the church today. So something to think about. Our vocabulary betrays a lot of what we actually believe. So perhaps it would be necessary um, or helpful for you to change how you speak about the church, but also realize the necessity of community for spiritual sacrifices to God. If you start rearranging this block all by yourself and you remove yourself from the tower, are you able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God? which is really what we're looking at next. We're built as a priesthood. And um, uh, what are spiritual sacrifices? Because that's a really, like, up in the clouds word. What does that mean? What's that? Avoidance of sin. Avoidance of sin. All right, that's a component for sure. In, the, in chapter one, it's be holy as I am holy. What else? Worship. Uh, here, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a, a hint. Most of the answers are found like right here in the text. That's where I'm getting the questions from. So if you're reading your Bible as we go through this. You, and, and starting in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He owns you. This is the point. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, holy living is part of it. Avoidance of sin. But there's also a proclamation that we do. And my generation is really, really quick to say, okay, I will proclaim God's excellencies through how I live. And that's true. And there's, there's validity in that. But there's also a component where proclamation means proclamation. You gotta say it. And this is something that I, I, I really, really wrestle with because sometimes I'll be willing to say things when I'm with the body. Like, God is so good and God is working this out for his glory. I'll say those things when I'm around other believers, but when I'm out in a different context, I'm like, do I really believe this? Can I say this to a person who doesn't believe the same way that I do? What we say, our vocabulary, will often betray uh, a lot of what we believe. And so verse 10 is really, really interesting, and I'm just going to skip on it real, real quick. But once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's borrowing language from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Hosea speaks specifically to Israel and applies these words specifically to Israel. But I think there's kind of a dual meaning where it could be either. Um, and I'm, I'm walking a thin line theologically. But I think if you're a Gentile reading this, you're going, yeah, I wasn't a part of this spiritual community, and now I am. And if you're a Jew, you're going, hey, Hosea said that about my people back in the day. So there's kind of a both and. I just wanted to hit that real, real quick because it's there. But how do we identify priests in our day? If you saw a priest walking down the street, how would you know? 
the way he's dressed. He'd have one of those interesting little collar things that I don't really understand how it works. Right? Um, how are Christian priests, well, not, I don't want to say Christian priests, to imply that Catholics aren't Christian, that's not, I, don't, I wouldn't say that. When he says in verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, um, he's not talking to people in church leadership, is he? He's talking, he's talking to everybody who receives the letter, spread all over these five different areas. The leadership is included in that, but hey, you are a priesthood. You are living stones being built together to offer spiritual sacrifices. What do priests do? They offer sacrifices. And so, hey, you're a priest this morning. I don't know if you knew that. If we would recognize a priest on the street by their collar, how would you recognize a, a priest in this spiritual sense? By the way he acts and talks? When he's giving the good news of the gospel? By the way he acts and by what he says? How would people recognize you as a priest? Just a little bit of food for thought. And so as we continue on, in verse 11... Let's read together. <laughs> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I'm going to stop there. Um, I read more than I had planned to, but that's okay. As we move on, where God's flock is built on Christ for worship. God's flock is freed from sin for righteousness. And one of those ways is by walking honorably. We see in those first two verses, verses 11 and 12, as sojourners and exiles, we talked about this last week. This is, this is the theme of, of, of I think, First Peter and, and our sermon series. As sojourners and exiles, what, what are we talking about here? This is not our home. We're foreigners. This isn't where we were made to be. And so since you're walking through this, this valley of the shadow of death, not where you were meant to be, then abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against yourselves. Here, following the shepherd is an act of war against yourself. I'm not sure if you can tell from the picture here, but that's the same guy. You really can't tell. That's the same guy doing battle with himself. Following the shepherd is an act of war against yourself, and those people who 
already worship themselves. They live like I am God. Those people will take it personally when you choose not to do the same. And they're going to talk. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to call you evildoers because you don't worship yourself the way that they do. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, our, our, our goal, our hope, our living hope is on the inheritance that we talked about in, in chapter 1. It all, it's all tied together. Our inheritance is kept for us by Christ, undefiled, unfading. It can't be touched. It, 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 it never decays. And that's our goal. When people are talking bad about us, we keep in mind the day of visitation, the point where all of this gets sifted out. So then how do you respond when someone speaks against you? I, I, I know what my response is. And I think for my own preservation, I'll choose not to disclose it. We can talk about it later. But it's usually not great. I want to I defend myself. No, I'm doing what's right here. Don't call me an evildoer because I'm, what, I'm doing what's right. When people are talking to you like this, is your concern for their understanding of who God is? Because that's where he takes this. When someone's speaking bad against you, are you saying, man, how will my response change their understanding of who God is ultimately? Can it? We read in verses 13 through 17 uh, that we're to be in submission to governing authorities. And this is connected with that previous thought. Um, you know, you silence foolish individuals. But then also, like, it's when people are talking bad about you, when people are saying things that are incorrect or untrue, or they're saying that you're doing the wrong thing when you're really doing the right thing, like, this is how you respond. It's a good thing that this is just for those people back in the day that doesn't have anything to do with us today, right? This is a really, really interesting, interesting statement in verse 16. If you'll notice, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He's saying, use your freedom, your freedom. Use that freedom to submit to governing authorities. Yeah, that's a... What?! Use your freedom, because that's where he's drawing from. In verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. And then use your freedom not as a cover-up for evil. Use your freedom to submit to governing authorities. What, what, what is going on? I'm going to give you a spoiler for our next section. But it's all tied up in who God is. God has supreme authority. The supreme authority has already set you free. And yet he has in place these lesser authorities. So we can submit to them, 
knowing that we're already set free by the supreme authority. It's like being on death row in a prison. And the president comes up and he says, hey, I'm going to grant you a pardon. Those things that people were saying about you, not true. You actually were in the right. You will not receive the death penalty, but I want you to stay on death row. I want you to live in this solitary-ish cell and be confined, and I want you to proclaim my goodness and my excellencies to the people who have received the death penalty and are being carried out. I want you to proclaim my goodness to the people who were charged with guarding those people because that's a hard job. Use your freedom to submit to authority. Uh, it's contrary to what we want to do, and the question necessarily arises, but what if it's an oppressive authority that we're called to submit to? Let's continue reading in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Hmm. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." So what if it's an oppressive authority? Peter says, hey, look at Jesus. How much more oppressive does it get than going through a wrongful trial and given the death penalty and it being carried out? It's not like God gave him that pardon that we had conjectured about previously. Like God let them carry out the death sentence on a completely sinless, not guilty man. I want to pause just for a moment because we need to highlight that we're talking about governing authorities. And so in coming through this, I really wrestled with how, how do we deal with, or how do we give answers to those who find themselves in abusive uh, situations or abusive relationships? Do you say, hey, just submit to that guy even though he's beating the snot out of you? No, <laughs> don't. If you're saying, well, I'll just stay in this relationship and it'll just get better, God will deliver me from this. Listen, God has provided deliverance for that. There are places that you can go. There are ministries and there are people who will take care of you to help you escape that. God has provided that escape from an oppressive authority. It's not a, a governing authority. And I, I can't tell you how, how much I really am wrestling with this even as I say it to you. I, I don't want to pretend like I've got this all ironed out. It's difficult. 
because it's clearly here. Submit to governing authorities. Hey, even if you have a really bad master, like, serve him well too. And so if that's a situation that you're in, then, 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 then we need to, to, to talk through it for sure. But where I landed-ish is, is there a way to resist a, an authority within a legal means? And I know this, and I don't really want to put this out there as like, this is what it is, but this is just me wrestling with it. There are ways that you can get out of something that's illegal. You can break out of prison if you're imprisoned unjustly per Shawshank Redemption, or you can fight the system and come out in a legal way. And I would say if you can, if you can find a legal way to get through that, and, and it's just, there's a lot here. And I wish we had time. This would be, this would be a better conversation for us to have, you know, face-to-face and one-on-one. So let's, let's do that. If this, is a pla- if this is where you're at, let's do that. But we, highlight, we mentioned last week that not all trials and not all suffering comes from God. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Like, if you, if, if you messed up here, then, uh, okay, you, you took your, your punishment, you took your penalty, like, okay. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And he goes immediately to Christ. Jesus suffered, and, and these words that he's talking about, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled is a verbal abuse. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. So that, that word suffer is paired with the word threaten, which makes me think that those are related. They're, 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 it's a verbal thing. He's not responding. And we know the scripture that he did not speak. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter and just let it happen. That's the example. Like, uh, here's where it's so difficult for us to reconcile this. This is our savior. We want to be like him in every way, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that part of following Jesus is suffering when we've done the right thing. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. It drives us back to him. Look, if, 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 you, if everything was just in the world and everything went right, if somebody did a good thing and they were rewarded for it or somebody did a bad thing and they were rewarded and that was how it always worked, we wouldn't need God. But when we find ourselves in these difficult situations and we're wrestling with how do I deal with this, we go back to the foundation. We go back to the builder. God, what do you want me to do here? These things drive us back to him. So uh, we can acknowledge, and I, I, I said it jokingly previously, that, you know, that verbal abuse is, is present today. Like, we know that. It's, it's, turn on the news for two or three minutes, and it won't take long before somebody in some way is, is giving a jab towards the Christians. Um, my question with that is, is that a good thing, or is that a bad thing? Should we be like really, really upset at this injustice? 
or are we actually facing some of what Jesus faced? So we worship our shepherd by suffering for what is right. And what is right sometimes is when we've been wronged. We've done the right thing and been accused falsely. So what? Be built together with other believers to offer spiritual sacrifices. Hey, we're all priests. We're all building blocks in this building that Christ is building, and you can choose to remove yourself from a community. But the encouragement here is, hey, be a part of a body. You cannot be a, you cannot, the the Christian faith is not a Lone Ranger type thing. You just can't walk around with your six shooter and pop people off and think it's going to work. Be built together with other believers to offer spiritual sacrifices. I got to hit the right button. Do not be surprised when people talk poorly about you. It's going to happen. Let's just not be surprised about it. But, Keep your living hope for an imperishable inheritance to live in a way that will silence the mockers. We're we're looking towards the future. Our inheritance, which we talked about last week, typically inheritances don't play a big deal in our day-to-day life. But Peter uses this as like, this is a driving force for how you're to walk. Like, remember this inheritance and remember how good it is and remember that it is kept. Let that be a the thing that drives you to live in a way that will silence people who are mocking you. And here, trust God's ultimate authority and submit to those invested with some of it temporarily. Whatever we can say about the difficulties that we find in this text, we can say that we know from here and from other places that God's authority his power is, is, is ultimate. Um, the theological word for that is he is sovereign. He's over it all. He controls it all. Nothing happens without his plan. And the funny thing to me is that in Romans, he says, hey, those governing authorities, even the bad ones, they are servants of God. Like, they're serving my purposes. So trust God's ultimate authority. Do you trust that he is in control? He hasn't lost power to deal with this and submit to those who are invested with some of that power temporarily. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And now we're presenting Not Our Home, by Jonathan and Emily Martin. We are foreigners, we are travelers to a country of our own. We are citizens of heaven, waiting for our King to come. We are making our exodus Out of this world of sin and death Oh, this is not our home 
ambassadors, we are ministers, reconciling God and men. And as we pass along, we will call to all, join our band of vagabonds. We are making our exodus out of this world of sin and death. I'm making our exodus into the life that he's promised. Oh, this is not our home. Oh, seek it one day to come. Oh, this is not our home. Oh, headed for the Oh, 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 oh. We're headed for the kingdom. 